you, dear listener, and a happy birthday to the chat. It's been a year already. My producer and editor, Tiago Barrero, said we should have someone extra special to chat with as it's our anniversary episode. Simon Climey ticks all the boxes. He's a multi-Grammy award winner and Eric Clapton's longtime producer. And we have exclusive access to tracks from Eric Clapton's Christmas album that's released today, imaginatively titled Happy Christmas. But first, two of my favourite people, comedy legend Tracy Ullman and my sensational singing, songwriting sister Julia Fordham, who wrote and sings the Chat with Claire Fordham theme song. We simply must applaud them, the Chat Podcast with Claire Fordham. Wow, it's Tracy Ullman here and I've just realised that the Chat with Claire Fordham is a year old. Unbelievable. Claire, congratulations. You certainly got me chatting, didn't you? Oh, love, that's my Claire Fordham impersonation. Hello, lover. Happy birthday to the chat. And now, over to another celebrity who wants to say happy birthday. Let me introduce Julia Fordham. Hello, my sister Claire Fordham. I'm so proud of you and your amazing show. So this is Julia Fordham saying to Claire Fordham of the chat... Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to Claire. It's been a great uh, privilege to work with Eric on the Christmas album, which who would have thought he'd ever do that, but it's fantastic. I'm dreaming of a white Christmas just like the ones I used to know Where the treetops glisten Children listen To hear sleigh bells in the snow I'm dreaming of a white Christmas Fantastic. I've been dreaming of a new Christmas album. Frankly, I'm sick to death of my Michael Bublé that I get out every Christmas and put the decorations up to. How much thought went into think, you know, coming up with the next sort of album that you would do with him? Well, we, it's been, we've talked about this for a couple of years, actually. Eric's wife, Malia, came up with the idea, really, to start with. And she was like, why don't you do a Christmas album? And the thing is, Eric actually makes a Christmas tape every year. And I wish I could get hold of those tapes, because there's, um, for instance, he'll one year it'll be a reggae Christmas. So he'll go to incredible lengths to research all these songs. And then it'll be country. So while the kids are making sort of muffins and things like that, or whatever you do, he's out there making the tapes. 
So because of that, some of the research for this went on beforehand. So for instance, you've got Merry Christmas Baby, which is a Chuck Berry classic. And um, there's quite a blues tinge to this. Uh, you've got um, Christmas Tears, which is Freddie King, which is just a wonderful track. Were you um, involved in finding the tracks? Well, not as much. Uh, no, he found some of those and the Anthony Hamilton ones. And I think I became... Uh, when we, we tend to work in a kind of melting pot situation where we'll go together like we're writing, when we're writing, or arranging stuff. So, for instance, White Christmas, I might have jammed on a feel of that overnight and Eric had an idea of what he wanted and we put all the thoughts together. Where did... Oh. And, uh, for instance, I'm going to find you... Away in a manger no crib for a bed the little lord jesus that's automatically open his feet in. so i love thee lord jesus some of these you see they kind of convert into a soulful song place really um, but we had one significant week when we were with a with a, a fantastic band with Nathan East and Jim Keltner wow. and all these people and it was as if what happens is Eric and I put together the kind of map of the whole thing so there'll be sketches or whether you call them demos or part masters and in some cases uh, like For Love on Christmas Day which is an original song it was nearly all there and, and we put uh, Nathan and Jim Keltner on that, and then later on a little bit of Tim Carmen, and you know. Hmm. And this is the song that you. That, that one is. Uh, yeah, let me get you. Yeah, let's. One. I'd like. Well, let's play that one. Myself alive, and you become at home soon, and then you'll name my sign. I read it every morning since you went away. I'm living in the dream world and dying 
a little more each day. Myself a love song, believe in every word. Saying that you love me, and melodies unheard. And you'll be coming back soon, and forever you will stay. I'm living in a dream world, dying. A little more each day. Here we are at Christmas, October, releasing an album, and hopes must be very high that this is going to be a big smash hit around the world. Well, I just want to point out the sympathy I have for the elves because <laughs> it's Christmas in July, and yeah. you know, when I was doing sleigh bells and things. Yeah. And, you know, that was good of you. You've those people, well, those have you got elves, sleigh bells in there? Did, were you under- sleigh bells on every song? I tended to put the sleigh bells on if they weren't there. There's a couple that start, <laughs> but to be doing that, I felt like I was an elf making Christmas presents. You know, and uh, but did you feel? Did you have to get in the in the mood in the Christmassy mood? Oh wasn't... yeah, but you know, we did. Uh, we we started it. So we did some. Definitely, some of these songs started in December, and there was a Christmas mood around, and right. people were coming in and out. And um, there's a fantastic guy who plays keyboards and uh, is an arranger, and that's Walt Richmond, who is, he was sending in early on things like his version of Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. And that really, um, we'd kind of start from that as a a sketch, if if Eric and I hadn't sketched something out, you know. So they've been coming through. So this it's was just when it gets to June, this and they're fun. saying, "Look, the pressure's on. We need this by June twelfth, and where are the?" Is that bells? when you had to get it by? It was yeah, basically the end. Right. Yeah. And did you have a massive budget? I don't really uh, consider that as a, an issue. It's, but no, it's that's a sort the joy of, of, of well, working the thing with is, A-listers. I don't know about that, but you know, the thing is, we we tend in the old days, you used to have a budget. You tend to be cost-effective. But it's it's more a question. That's never really been an issue with us because, truthfully, this is Eric well, you know, Eric can stand in a room with amazing musicians. So, for instance, when we did Riding with the King, oh, that was just which fabulous. is uh, one of my favourite albums. The reality is that we had um, some incredible players, Steve Gadd and Nathan East again, and you know all these people, Joe Sample. And when, you, when they're around in the room, you tend to get, when everyone's, you capture the moment. Mm. So when, when they play a song once or twice, if it's a slow blues, it might be the first take. So literally, you could look at it and say, well, look, because everyone's here, and because Eric's such an amazing singer, and of course, mm. so was BB, it tends to be a first take thing with those. So if we know. were going to play one track from Riding With The King, which one would you choose? Three o'clock in the morning. Okay. Well, now it's three o'clock in the morning And I can't even close my
And I can't be satisfied And that must have been an absolute trip for you. I mean, you've worked yeah. with famous people, but B.B. King and Eric It was a real privilege. Room. And I, we, Eric and I just finished the first album we did together, Pilgrim. And for instance, My Father's Eyes was mm. a big hit off that. And that one was more built in the studio, so that took time and we would... We tr you know, the thing about recording, which has always been the case, is that it's finding the unique way of getting an approach for a song that makes a difference. I go back to Michael Jackson and Billie Jean. Once they'd kind of figured, ba, 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 and do, 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 it's kind of you resolve all your ideas down to this perfect record, and then anyone can copy it in a day. But to get through all the other bass parts yeah. and simplify it, and I think some of the Beatles records as well, they were just sort of perfect the way they were. And so how many albums have you done with Eric? Not sure. It's probably I mean, it's a lot. Ten, maybe. Oh, wow, OK. A lot, yeah, because um, I'll have to research that. OK, well, we'll do our own but research. We do, because also there's live albums yeah. and the Cream one, where, yeah. where he does And that much. must have been a trip. Yeah, well, he doesn't particularly like listening back to his... You know, he'd rather play another gig than listen mm. to 12 when the record company or the suits would mm. say, would you like this one or that one? Like, oh, I don't know, ask Simon, I'll go off to Japan and play the Budokan. And that's that's a great place to be because you're always moving forward. And he's still got it musically. Oh, he must fantastic. be over 70 or 70. Yeah. And he still plays great. I mean, don't he probably won't listen to this, so you can say... No, well, he... I mean, I've never particularly worried about that but the thing is I think Eric like every you've got to look after your health yeah but you know he's been incredibly healthy for the last 20 years he's got a wonderful family there have been a couple of issues and when you know you, we all get a bit creaky yeah and you have your off days <laughs> but no he had a couple of health scares a year or two ago and they seem to have moved through so I think it's really uh, for instance, Paul Young, it's known mm. that Paul, who is a wonderful singer, absolutely amazing singer, Paul, but because he sang kind of from that soft, like, every time you go away, up in this soft, you know, not from the diaphragm, he would, it's very wearing on the voice, so he got nodes and lost some right. of his voice. Eric, for whatever reason, he's singing powerfully from the diaphragm, and I think from back in the 60s, for instance, Lulu, Mm -hmm. And when once Lulu pipes up, you know, you can't hear anything else in the room. She's mm. so loud. So they used to, you'd have a heavy guitar or something. And um, you can either, every time, or you go, ah, da, 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 you get a powerful sound. And then the words come through that. And that that's kind of makes you bulletproof. So you can actually sing for hours. So like any um, singers listening, practicing, doing your warm-ups, which I noticed you did before we started this, you, you recommend it. Yeah, and I sing from the diaphragm. To, uh, well, you know, some songs have a roundness to them, and uh, or different... If I look at I Knew You Were Waiting, for instance, it changes ranges. Now, that needs two people, because this section... Somehow I made it through the heartache. Yes, I did. I escaped, I found. You need a kind of sensitivity, yeah. and that voice, which was where George was on there, is not the kind of sing out. But when the river was deep, I didn't falter. When the mountain was high, I'm singing loud here, obviously. Right. So I still believe 
And, and for instance, someone like Steve Winwood has got an mm. incredible yes. voice, and he's like a, you know, he's a, like a brass instrument. He just powers through these things. And uh, but you, gonna... we can't move on from I knew you were waiting without mentioning the Queen of Soul, who we lost. Yeah, well, this is um, And she sang. Sad. You wrote her only UK number one that she sang with George Michael. I'm very lucky because I was a huge Aretha fan, and when I was just growing up as a songwriter. I was playing Beatles songs and whatever my favourite of the time was, maybe Killing Me Softly, and I would learn those and sing them. And, um, and all of Aretha's great songs, I'd play that album every day. So it becomes part of your So did you write the place. song with her in mind? I kind of had... Um, songs often take on a life of their own. So there was a point at which I thought, this has got to be... Whitney or Aretha or Tina or there were two or three in fact I think honestly there were only five singers in the world I think could have really right. given that who were the other two Celine Dion I no I was going to say I'm actually they're all R&B singers oh. so all right we don't have to yeah, go there but I mean the top three I mean you Tina, know well, I mean, there Whitney. are more Mavis yeah. Staples okay. oh, but yes, you know you yes. got, yeah, there are people yeah. that can go but the basically that's a very gospel chorus mm. But, you know, George, I have to give him credit because he really locked onto that. And he it was a crossover song. And, it, and I was talking with Judith Hill about this yesterday. You know, the world, an amazing singer. She's a phenomenal singer. And, you know, the world gets more polarised. And, and a lot of us just want to bring the world back together, you know, mm. and just say... There are no racial things, there are no barriers right. and stuff. And and I think there was a golden era with I Knew You Were Waiting when... Oh, yeah. Like a warrior that fights and wins the battle I know the taste of victory Though I went through some nights Consumed by the shadows I was crippled emotionally mm-hmm. Somehow I'm later to sort of um, crossover record was what they'd call it so for instance George not only was he making a pop album that was number one all over the world he was on black radio in America which was incredible for him and um, it it really did open a door for George that for the American right and they're both gone yeah this is amazingly sad I mean I'm super surprised uh, what it was such a shock when George passed away and also very sad with Aretha because she's almost like a family member. Yes. She's with you all the time. Yes, yeah. And if I may say, this apartment, you bought this on the proceeds Probably. of that song. As well, I, I know, I think, um, I think years ago, it was a bit of a shock because my dad was a comedy writer for the BBC and he sometimes would write... Uh, oh, brother, oh, brother, da-da-da-da. And he'd do the theme song and then he'd come in and say... Guess what? I got like three hundred and forty-two pounds seventy for that. Oh, brother, for 
16 plays or something. Like it was and, the, a huge amount of money. And then this, I mean, I knew you were waiting, got a million and a half plays in the first six months. So I got an ASCAP award and Dennis Morgan got BMI award for that. Dennis, and, your co-writer, your yeah, writer. And he, he and I have written tons of songs and he's got about 42 of those awards. I've got a few, but the, um, we were just, and then the PRS started and the first check that came through, um, Tom Sturgis, who's a wonderful publisher and friend, he said to me, well, you're either going to give that money to a lawyer or put a down payment on a flat so that you can come, an apartment, sorry. Yes. <laughs> so you can come to LA. We're international. We're and you know what, this apartment is incredible because it's become the gateway. There's a, I don't know if you've heard of a girl called Julia Fordham. Yes, I have. Yeah, well, she's, she's an amazing good. talent. She and is. very sexy as well, I might oh, say. Oh, and hot, yeah. Yeah, hot. And very know. much younger than me. As you share a lot in common, you two, yeah. <laughs> but Julia came over here, I think... I don't know what year, but she said, oh... 24 years ago. Can I ago, stay I in your apartment for three weeks while I do a bit of recording? And she was here for a year. And yeah. I was in England. I think I might have been working with Eric then, but I said, oh, yeah. She's obviously a very good yeah. house guest. Yes, and a, and and then a she, good friend. And you've she, written together. You, we've written songs as well, which is wonderful. And uh, But she basically... There are other English people who just happen to be coming through for a few weeks right. or a, a day or two. And it, it's fun, it sorts itself out. It's like the poets and the... As life goes on, you've got the dot-com billionaires and that, and they've all got you. yachts. <laughs> and there's the rest, the creative, the arts. It's an endangered species, yeah, quite frankly. Yeah, it is. And so, so, I mean, you're still in the, at the top of the game. And you're... I mean, we, we talked about... We sort of made a joke about the money that you made. But those days are gone, aren't they? And let not... I don't... Obviously, you're still in the the A-list with, with Eric, and that well, it, must be real budgets and real money. It, but most people in your position, even people who've had great success, are not making the big bucks anymore. Well, it's a strange thing in our industry as well, because um, without getting too involved in the money, but it's no secret that the live performance thing has gone up. So what's the, we're saturated with so much music, when people want, you know, when a record label like Universal wants to promote someone, you can't get away from it. It's on TV, it's everywhere. Yeah. And they do a great job. But it's ironic to me that people like Adele or Ed Sheeran, who didn't get on, America, you know, X Factor or something, who didn't win an order, who didn't do that, they just made it through on their own. And maybe they were turned down 20 times mm. by labels. But they build a genuine fan base. And now when they go and tour... I mean, we know Ed Sheeran's made a lot of money and he's he's just built a genuine fan base. He's a fantastically talented mm -hmm. oh, singer. Oh, the people who can... It's, it's crucial to be able to sing live today, for yeah. sure. There's none of this auto-tuning. That won't see you through. No, but I think also... I don't know exactly what... It, I think basically the tickets, people just love to go... It, if you go... In fact, even, you know, someone like Tony Hadley... Mm -hmm. He'll be out, and uh, you know all the eighties band. I d I don't do that myself, but the because I'm still busy in the studio doing what right. the next year's thing is. But they 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 seem to be there's a sentimental value in that, and people go oh yeah nostalgia. Life it's is huge. just and and Julia, for instance, will go round and she's making a she just made a wonderful record. Yeah, the woman and, to woman tour. Yeah, yeah, the woman to woman tour. People really love that because it taps into something about the magic part of their life mm. we have that of course with love changes everything yes let's give people a reminder of that fabulous oh you know so i've done a kind of 
Jack Johnson version, if you like, where it's more acoustic. And it's so much fun, this song, because I'm always getting to play it. Oh, it's people. timeless. I was only 17 when she looked at me that way. Seems like yesterday. I was only fooling round, but she stole my heart away. Never been the same. Love changes, changes everything. Love makes you fly, it can break your wings. And then you oh, have to sing. Fabulous. Doo, 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 doo. Which oh. is the bit that everyone remembers. <laughs> yeah. So, um. Doo, 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 doo. Yeah, the thing is, I get so, I still get a lot of... I'm not great on social media, and I apologise to everybody who <laughs> writes to me and says, oh, I wrote two six years ago. And <laughs> I just haven't had time. There's always something to record. But the one message that comes through is people go, oh, that song changed my life, yeah. and I really did listen to the story, and then I met someone. And songs have a really strange way of becoming a self-fulfilling oh. prophecy, you know. Yeah. Uh, it's extraordinary. But a good song is a good song, I think, and they'll they'll always come through. And of course, you were in partnership with Rob Fisher, Rob Fisher for yeah. several years, yeah. and you that you were massive pop stars. Well, massive. Um, you was, were. You can't deny it. Yeah, it was were. a very difficult moment because Rob was quite an intellectual. You know, he was far better educated than me. He sort of read the New Scientist and that when other people were around reading smash hits, seeing if their photo was all right. <laughs> he was seeing if the atom has got any other. You know connotations to it he was always a bit embarrassed by the commercial success and it was funny because neither one of us we we didn't think we'd have any hits with this we just were making a record that we liked and we at one point we auditioned for singers as well and uh, Nick Gatfield who was our A&R mm. man he was involved and we all turned and I sang all the demos and Steve Lillywhite who produced the first record and Steve said don't be ridiculous you're the singer You've got a great voice, you need to sing. The world needs to hear it. So we, Nick sort of went, hmm, yeah, he's got a point actually. So signed the cheque, I think, for us to do the first six tracks, which included uh, This Is Me and some of those. I mean, literally, we wrote quite a few songs. Well, the next three would have been Rise to the Occasion, yeah. Love Changes and stuff. And, you know, we... And you toured? We didn't tour very much, but mm. those records were top five in about 40 territories. Yeah. So, so you've been a success in so many areas yeah. as a performer as well. Does that make you more sympathetic to singers? Do you yeah, think that served yeah. you well? Well, for several reasons. And I think it's very important when you're... Well, let's put it another way. I see people come along and sort of change managers about every three hours and that's a really difficult thing. I mean, it's very difficult business-wise because, you know, you have a contract for a year or so. And also, you, I basically have fairly low expectations of everything and I always strive to make something that is as good as it can be. Mm. When Love Changes came out, I remember the first time it was a miss and it went to number 67 and I literally was scratching my head saying... Do you know what? I just can't believe that didn't do better because I think melodically and the feel, all the elements 
are really there. For instance, that what an actually an amazing mixer called Bob Clearmountain heard the song and he said to me, he said he can't hear the voice well enough, Simon. The problem with this record is, and we, Rob and I were at Vision and, and Rob was a very talented keyboard player and we had layers and layers and layers of keyboards and you often have this in records. But Bob said, let me mix it. So he went in and then he managed to do a mix where it literally sounded like my voice was on a separate speaker in the middle. You could hear every word and you could, f more importantly, you could feel the song. Then, uh, you know, I learned a lot of lessons from all these people along the way. That came out and immediately kind of number two wow. and pretty much number one in a lot of places. And Just with five. a little bit of tweaking. Big difference but, but... hearing the voice. Someone like Julia, for instance, mm. she always kind of knew that in that, she would always dampen down the music and say, no, 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 not a huge string pad, just two notes, mm. or that's too busy. And we were, in, we were all just throwing everything in the, in the record we could put in at that point. And if we can talk just briefly about the fact that, that Rob died, he, sex and drugs and rock and roll, I'm afraid took its toll with him. And we, um, of course, know Eric has had his challenges in that area. And then, of course, you worked with another well-known, but in recovery, heroin addict, Michael McDonald, possibly the, one of the greatest. He is an acknowledged. Yeah. In, and, and in recovery. And, I mean, what an artist. I think most people would put him in their top five as, as vocalists. Yeah, I'm actually just not sure if he was a heroin addict or what his he thing was. He was something. Was. He was definitely an alcoholic. And okay. I think he was no... It was a different kind of white Christmas he was having. Let's put it <laughs> Great singer. You pro produced yeah. two albums for Three, him? actually. Three. Pick a track from one of those albums. Well, I think you've play. got to do... Um, one thing is, if you're going to play one, do a little bit of Ain't No Mountain. Yeah. There's a few things. One, Mike, Mike's got a... He won't mind, I think, because he's got a very good sense of laughing at himself. And mm. he'll tell stories about himself that will keep you... In. You need to interview him one day. Oh, I'd love to. It'd be fantastic. But basically, um, when he sang Ain't No Mountain, he got a Grammy nomination for the vocal and Mary J. Blige was there and she forced him to sing that. She said, come on, Michael, give us this. So he sang the beginning of Ain't, which I'm not going to even attempt because no. he's got a voice that is a powerhouse, you know. And there we were in this stadium, maybe, I don't know whether it's a Staples Centre or somewhere, with him just on his own singing that and the place just erupted. Another song, for instance, because um, basically we were mapping these out. There was um, my good friend Toby and Nikki, of course, who we were all working on the McDonald album together and just trying to keep up with him because mm. he, he works at, when he starts singing, he either hasn't got a voice, he's like, uh, 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 he's suddenly off in, and he's away. And um, we had this, uh, just let me see if I can capture this for a second. 
what's it, kind of? I kind of, in a way, had a lean on me type of vibe mm. going with. And uh, needed the shelter, someone's arms, there you were. How sweet it is, how sweet it is to be loved by you. You need to hear that. Well, he came in, the windows were open, and we were recording this vocal. I put him on the mic, and uh, Nikki and Toby were just sitting outside with the windows wide open. And he sang that, and they both walked in and just said, have you comped that vocal? And I went, no. Is that what he actually sounds like? And I went, yeah, this is him on a microphone just feeling a song. And, you know, we laughed about it, because that one and some of the other ones, you could have taken, I mean, you could have taken any take. And there was one... I'll be there. Da, da, oh, da, da, da. Wait, he didn't want to do that song. The record company wanted Mike to do that, and he went, "I don't like that song," but oh, I'm not sure it's me. And then um, this, it, it, as you're a mum, you might have this thing that, like, sometimes when you're trying to feed children something, mm. and they go, oh, "I hate that. I'm not going to have pizza or something like that." No, so no, anyway, they always will eat pizza. <laughs> well, the pizza. So I'm not sure that the, the, there's a similarity here. But anyway, Mike, who really didn't like to sing that song or the sound of it. We just, we had no time, so we had like a Wurlitzer and a tambourine. And I said, oh, let's put a guide vocal down so we can work to it. And he went and sang that song all the way through to this. And he went, oh, I love that song now. Once you're singing it, you realize that. So when you're on the outside, you don't, you, you know, you don't always hear the I things. don't know how he can not like Well, he loves it now. modern era because you're still very much involved in the music world but you're still working with the grown-ups if you will is there anyone any of the youngsters that you're oh, looking yeah. at and thinking oh my <clears throat> god well I think honestly there always are for instance there's a girl called Delilah Montague Delilah who is oh, I think she might be 19 now but I heard her when she was 15 years old and I thought well she's got a magical voice and the tone when she plays and sings it's all completely right. She's quite unique, and and what what they're doing is she's now signed, I think, to Sony. So they're developing, and we'll hear her first album. So maybe this will be a hit by the time this comes out. Okay. But it's a joy to watch her, and she does these little shows, and, and just like with Julia, the music's not forceful, but it draws you in. For me, uh, when it comes to singers, see, when I was I was cycling through Hyde Park. And I had my like earphones on and was listening to the radio or something. I heard Adele singing that Bob Dylan song, uh, and I just oh, stopped in my tracks and just that was the first time I'd heard her voice. 
and and it, and it was only coming out of a small speaker and I knew straight away I thought this girl is phenomenal and this is going to reach millions of people and then a few a few days later I was in a business thing and it came up and some people were saying oh I don't know about her I don't think yeah, I don't think it's going to go the long haul and these were all like heads of labels and stuff no. and I said and I said no no and I listened to this one and they went yeah well we'll see you know and then like six months later 10 million albums you know but the truth is a voice when you listen to radio and you can't you don't always want piano and vocal songs you need a different contrast especially to keep the energy going but whether it's Amy Winehouse or Adele or once you get a magical song with a voice that communicates it because the voice is the human interface for music mm. and we all have new toys and guitars and everything but when Eric does I Shot the Sheriff or Wonderful Tonight, he's conveying an emotion to millions of people. And that, as brilliant as a guitar player he is, it can't be... Um, you do have people who are just guitar players and they don't reach the same audience. Yeah. But the voice is crucial to you and that's yeah. one of the things that you're famed for is getting the vocal sound. Yeah, so I think good. I'm a, you know, a, a vocal producer for sure and uh, I'm very focused on the voice. I always have to Forgive me if I'm sound, sounding a little bit too simplistic, but is it a case of having the volume level up? No, not really. And also so many things. For instance, Mike McDonald... It was crucial what keys we put songs in. Right. We didn't always get that right with Climby Fisher, so sometimes things are high and whatever. Actually, I would like to just put, we, the phone just went, and that was your um, your manager who you worked with, Dee Harrington. Yeah, that's right. And you must be a very loyal person because she managed you back in the Climby Fisher days. That's right, yeah. She's, I, you, she's you always been, uh, with her. you know, the thing about Dee is she's um, recognised something in me. I had very little confidence. I'm quite shy, you know. So I think basically she pushed me. I would never have had it, certainly not have had any kind of commercial success. And things like I Knew You Were Waiting, I didn't really think that song was good enough already. And she went, oh, for Christ's sake, let's just send it as it is. We can always get it better later. Uh, so I owe her a lot for that, just to sort wow. of bully me into sort of putting something in the envelope, you know. I know she's a dear friend, but you yeah. still, she's very well, I'm, much Well, you know, the thing is, I'm, I'm a nurturing type of person. So if it's funny this, because if we were in the studio and if there's a, a new engineer there, I mean, if we're really under pressure and we've got three stars and nothing's working, we all have to work incredibly hard. But the deal is you have to get there three hours early to mm. make sure it's right. But if someone new comes into that, whether it's a new musician or whatever, I always want to find out what their talent is and bring it through, mm. you know. Do you know yeah. what I mean? So, I mean, music, it's, it's universal. It's the universal connector. And I, I'm with Nietzsche, who, who said, without music, life is a mistake. And I think that's true, do you? Yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely. In fact, it's funny, in this room now, it's silent unless I'm making music. But when I walk into a place like a restaurant, if they've got great music, I think music is like uh, a great interior designer. It can change the feel of a place. So I'll choose restaurants based on the music they're playing first and then the food. Fortunately, there's a lot of great food around, so you know you don't have to die for it. But if, it's, if I know they always play beautiful music, I'll go to that restaurant. Uh, because I think it's part of the the wallpaper, the and interior the of, of life. Yeah. And it it's funny from time to time, you know, Irving Berlin started the ASCAP thing and sort of 
fought for the rights of songwriters and and I'm not just saying songwriters I'm talking about directors actors film because with the sort of huge burst of internet it's so easy to just access stuff any way you like um, and there are big billionaires and trillionaires that are, and none of that's coming you know when I walk along Santa Monica I pass the Google building and there's just people all out on the street there so you've got billionaires indoors and people who, who haven't got anything to eat it's insane mm, it is well what do you think we should do about it well I think there's just so many levels of um if I'm really going to go there, if it, for a start, they just have, ought to have some kind of automatic taxation thing which evens the balance there so that people say, for instance, if you're a trillion-dollar organisation like Apple, then automatically you you pay for all the, the council tax or whatever the American equivalent is so and make sure that there are hostels and things. And talk, talking about Apple, I mean, what, what do you feel about that business model whereby people aren't getting songwriters and singers aren't getting paid for their songs I think it's a very tricky one this because in in all honesty I have to play the game here because I don't want to be blacklisted on Spotify or other places but um, there's a wake-up call that needs to happen because the big thing the big difference with where are these new talents coming is I I know an amazing singer-songwriter who's working in a restaurant nearby I know another one who's a gardener that you can't make a living when Julia and I started rents were lower you could say you know what I'll give this a couple of years and see if I've got something and then someone would pay for a demo or something now unless we're in a funny situation there are no working class heroes if you've got rich parents Taylor Swift she's very talented but it's all come from the family, got behind her from the very beginning. And then you can kind of ensure some sort of talent because back in the day, um, Nick and the, the record companies would recognize a genuine talent and say, okay, let's invest in that. Right. Now they, they do not invest until you're already selling like Ed Sheeran. So you have to get over that ladder. So what, what advice would you give to singer songwriters, young singer songwriters? Well. <laughs> get a day job. I think there's two questions here. One is that it'd be nice somehow if some of the powers that be can figure out a way of uh, evening the balance. Mm. In terms of singers and songwriters, I think you the ultimate thing is that, and the truth of it is, if, if it's me or Eric or any of the people that I work with and love, I don't know any of them that are just doing it for the money. We do it because we love it. And some people are lucky, in my case I'm lucky enough to make a living at it, and some people are just so talented that they, it's undeniable. If you can go out, right now, if I was a manager, I'd say to someone, if you can sing, I'd go out live and start building up a fan base, which is how you two did it, and how Eric did it, and all these people, and not worry too much about if your records could be heard at this stage. Yeah. Because then... You've then, got to do it because you love and it. And for instance, uh, Judith mentioned... Uh, so Judith Hill. Judith Hill, um, she said, have you heard Marcus King? So go and Google Marcus yeah. King. He's an amazing guy coming from South Carolina or something. Right. And they're always coming through. Well, will you promise me that you won't stop making music? Oh, yeah, I think I've... Uh, well, thank you. I certainly Wonderful will. music. Thank well, you. thank you. And thank you for chatting with me, Simon Climby. Thank you, Claire. We simply must applaud them. The chat podcast with Claire Fordham. Q.
keep calm and chat on. Thanks so much, Simon Climey. On the next episode of The Chat with Claire Fordham, I'll be chatting with political activist Alexis Aria and other inspiring people to find out what we can do to turn America democratic blue in the midterms. And I'll be announcing the big step I'm taking to be part of the change that gets America back on track. Until next time, keep calm and chat on. We simply must applaud them, the chat podcast with Claire Borden. Keep calm and chat on. The Chat with Claire Fordham is an M Squared production.